Awesome. Hey, how, how are you all doing this morning? So good to see you. Uh, we've been journeying through Psalm 23 and as a church, and there have been so much, there's so much that we could actually glean from Psalm 23. Uh, but today I'm going to unpack verse 5 for us. This is the second to last week of our sermon series, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd. And so here's what verse 5 says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. God bless the reading of his word. David writes the psalm and it's a form of poetry. David is speaking of God as a shepherd. And he starts to dive into imagery of what a shepherd does. From verse 1 through to verse 4, we see God as our shepherd. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our souls. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is there with us. We need not to be afraid. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And then suddenly we get to verse 5 of Psalm 23, and there's a sudden shift in David's poetry writing. We get to verse 5, and God goes from shepherd to chef. God becomes this host who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And then he goes on ahead to anoint our heads with oil until our cup runs over. There is so much that I could preach from this text. I could preach on the anointing. I could preach on the oil. I could preach on the cup. But this morning, I want to really focus on the table because the table is the dominant concept of our text this morning. God has prepared a table. He's prepared it for you in the presence of your enemies. I was online doing some shopping and I noticed these random ads for tables and tables have come a long way, eh? There was this table, your classic dining room table. It's giving homie, it's giving whanau, it's giving kiwi as. And if you wanted to have a bench seat on the side of this table, it'll look a little bit like this. Mm, good, simple, classic dining room table. And then you have this guy right here. The foldable table. <laughs> Who of you remember the, these tables? You had the option of whether you had four, two, or six people at your table. And when you needed extra space, you could just fold that table, put it on the side, and let it be a side table for decor up against the wall. It's giving flexible. It's giving mobile. It's giving versatile. Amen. But have you seen this table? Ooh. Lord have mercy. <laughs> This is the kind of statement table that you want in the center of your dining hall in your mansion, yeah? This table is giving robust. It's giving kiakaha. Amen. I'm telling you, tables have evolved. Check out this table. Wow. Listen, this dining suite is giving me trampoline bouncy vibes. <laughs> if you want to eat your food with a little bit of a bounce and a lean here and there, this dining suite is the dining suite for you. Now, this next table is what I would like to call the X-Men table. Yeah. That table is tabling right now. It's giving Wolverine. It's giving mana. And look, this is what it looks like when it's set up. Wow. Look at those chairs. Wow. Now, all of those tables are great, but this table would be my all-time favorite. Doesn't get any better than that, huh? <laughs> yeah, come on somebody doesn't get any better than good old banana leaves on a salmon mat on the floor that's a real table to me amen 
You see, whether it's made of wood, whether it's made of mahogany or sleek glass and chrome, a table is like the heart of a home. Tables are usually rich. They are special places in people's lives. Tables serve many purposes. It's the place where, we, where people gather for breakfast and, uh, and coffee in the morning. It's the place that we gather to have quick meals. We have lengthy dinners at the table. We celebrate Christmas holidays with feasts at the table. Old friends catch up at the table. New friends are made at the table. Sometimes you'll hear an uproar of laughter at the table. Other times you'd hear murmurs of serious discussion at the table. Relationships are built over tables. Families gather at the table. But have you noticed that oftentimes a lot of the issues that we have and the problems that we have and arise at the table have nothing to do with the table? Like majority of the arguments at the table have nothing to do with the table. It's got nothing to do with the, the kind of table, the size, the length or the height or the chairs. The table is not the issue. The table setting is not the issue. The food being served is not the issue. For many of us, the issue is how we choose to dine at the table. It's often the attitude that we bring to the table. It's often the way that we engage at the table that creates issues and problems for us. And so if we're going to be able to come to the table that the Lord is preparing for us, and if we're going to get the most of everything at the table, then we need to come correct. And so I want to encourage us with the word of the Lord this morning. This, this message is simply titled Table Etiquette. Table etiquette. Tap the person next to you and say, what are your table manners like? (laughs) Amen. You see, all throughout scripture, we see the table appear so many times. When Jesus was in Bethany, he's meeting with Mary and Martha and a number of people because they're celebrating the fact that Lazarus has come back to life. They're gathering at the table. Jesus met his disciples in the upper room. They had a Passover meal together. He's preparing them for his suffering and his death. He's doing it at the table. Jesus revealed his betrayer at the table. The woman with the alabaster jar, she comes, she bows down, she kisses Jesus' feet, she anoints his feet, she's worshipping him at the table. Peter was criticised in the book of Acts at the table. He was criticised for eating and sitting with people who were uncircumcised. Luke in his gospel is constantly bringing us back to the table. Jesus and his disciples reclining at the table. The early church continued steadfast in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of the bread. They're gathering at the table. The parable of the prodigal son, he comes back to a banquet at the table. Again and again and again, God is bringing us back to the table. And it made me realize that God does some of his best work at the table. It's no wonder the psalmist said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of thine enemies. He did it at the table. It all happens at the table. You see, for people in the Bible times, the table was more than just the consumption of food. The table in the Bible times was more than just nourishment and enjoying of a meal together. The table was a sign of fellowship. It was a symbol of communion, of relationship, of hospitality. Eating at the table was a sign of covenant and close relationship between two people. And so the food suddenly takes a backdrop in this moment because the fellowship, the covenant, the relationship between you, the host, and the guests at the table has become more important. 
And so in our text, God is no longer a shepherd. He's the host. He is the one who is preparing a table and he does so in front of the enemy. Whenever someone prepared a table in biblical times, it meant two things. First of all, it was a public statement. Many scholars of the Bible believe that in biblical times, when you prepare a table for you and a guest in front of someone else, doing so publicly establishes the right relationship, the fellowship and the covenant between the host and the guest. Not only that, but whenever someone prepared a table, it also meant, secondly, personal responsibility. Preparing a table is a picture of putting aside any conflicts we may have, putting aside any difference in opinion that we may have, and taking full responsibility responsibility for the safety of my guest while they're at my table. And so in our passage, we can see that God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He is letting the enemy know the connection, the covenant, and the relationship between you and God. Not only that, but God is letting the enemy know that as long as my guest is at my table, as long as my guest is in my presence, as long as my guest is with me, I'll be fully responsible for their safety. And because of that, we can pull up a seat at the table and enjoy the Lord's provision. We can enjoy the Lord's sustenance. We can enjoy the Lord's nourishment. We can enjoy the Lord's fellowship because we will be safe in His care. David, the guest, is saying of God, the host, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my insecurity. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my deficits, in the presence of my addictions, in the presence of my confusion, in the presence of what I've lost, in the presence of the threat that I might not make it, in the presence of death, in the presence of my enemies. Lord, you are the one who lets the enemy know that I'm yours. Lord, you are the one who lets the enemy know that I belong to you. Lord, you are the one who lets the enemy know that there is nothing it can do to take me out of your hand. Because as long as I'm seated at the table that the Lord has prepared for me, I'm going to be taken care of. The problem is, pulling up a seat at the Lord's table is easier said than done. We have our reasons for not wanting to pull up a table, uh, a chair at the seat. And I want to go there for a little bit. Is it okay if I go there, church? Ooh, not many of you want me to go there. We are going there. In Luke 14, Luke chapter 14, we get this real good glimpse of the posture and the attitude of three types of people who had an opportunity to come to the table or who were at the table. And so I want to share a number of observations in the text that I think could really help us this morning with our table etiquette. First of all, we see that there's a religious diner. One Sabbath day, Jesus was invited by the leader of the Pharisees. Pharisees were people who love rules. They love to keep religion. They love to keep the culture and customs of the day. And so their leader has invited Jesus to come to their home for a meal. So they're at the table. There's Jesus there, the leader of the Pharisees, and all the Pharisees are there. Suddenly, a man with dropsy, swollen arms and swollen legs, he comes to Jesus. And so Jesus turns and he asks the leader of the Pharisees and the Pharisees, are we allowed to heal people on the Sabbath day or not. Not a single word could be heard from them. And so Jesus turns to the man who was sick, touches him, heals him, sends him away. And then Jesus turns to the leaders of the Pharisees and the Pharisees, and again he says, which one of you does not work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow fell into a pit, would you not rush over to save them? Again, not a single word came from them. There are some of us, 
who have come to the table with a religious attitude. And so just like the Pharisee, we come to the table, but we're bound by tradition. We're at the table, but we're bound by custom. We're at the table, but we're bound by ritual. We're at the table, but we're bound by status quo. And the problem with this kind of an attitude is that it doesn't matter how many times you come to the table, you'll still walk away malnourished. The truth is you could be at the table, but still feel unsafe. You could be at the table, but still feel alone. It won't matter how many times you come to church, you'll still leave feeling discouraged. It doesn't matter how many times you go to small group, you'll still walk away feeling by yourself. It doesn't matter how many times you wake up in the morning and go to your dream job, you will still walk away feeling unsatisfied. The reason you feel that way is because pulling up a seat at the table that the Lord has prepared for you is nothing but tradition to you. You're at the table, but you're not there for communion. You're not there for relationship. You're not there for covenant. You're there because of tradition. You say, it's always been done this way though. I was brought up this way. This is what we do. It's always been done like this. Why do we need to change it? And so you're caught up on keeping traditions that bear no fruit. You're caught up on doing everything in your strength and your ability. You're caught up in doing things on your terms. You're caught up on trying to work something that's dead. And so suddenly, when God is about to switch things up, when He starts to challenge your norm, you suddenly get all quiet and reluctant and passive and you go underground and no one can seem to get hold of you. You're mad because you want God to prepare the table in the presence of your enemies, but you want Him to do it on your terms. And so Jesus has to turn to you and ask you the question, are we allowed to heal on the Sabbath? In other words, I know it's your house, I know it's your family, I know it's your job, I know it's your marriage, but is it okay for me to heal on the Sabbath? Is it okay for me to do something that is outside of your man-made traditions? Is it okay for Jesus to be Jesus? Is it okay for Jesus to prepare the table in your house? Is it okay for him to do it in your family? Is it okay for him to do it in your marriage? The Bible says that Jesus turned to the man who was sick, healed him, and he t- and sent him away. Let me encourage you this morning. If you let Jesus be himself, he can bring a, a miracle to your table. If you would let Jesus be Jesus, he can bring a shift to your circumstance. If you would just let Jesus be Jesus, he can actually bring healing to your home. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where in your life are you still trying to hold on to things that exempts Jesus from preparing a table in the presence of your enemy? Where in your life are you trying to exempt Jesus from being Jesus, because as long as you've got rules that exempt Jesus from being Jesus in your life, pulling up a seat at the table is nothing but religion to you. Secondly, we've got the proud diner. At the same, t- the same table, Jesus, Jesus notices that the people who are trying to come and take a seat, they're like fighting over, they want to sit at the head. So this person's want to sit over here in the place of honor. And so Jesus gives them this, this advice. He says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't gun, don't gun the, the seat of honor. Don't go in and try and get the place of honor because what happens if someone more distinguished than you turns up to the wedding? The host will come in. You'll get a tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, can, can you please stand up and go over here? The, the prime minister of New Zealand has arrived. You, you know, that's embarrassing as heck. Jesus goes on to say, instead, take the lowest place at the table. When the host sees you, he'll come and say, friend, we've actually got a better seat for you. Follow me. And then suddenly you're being honored in front of all the guests who are at the table because those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. I want to speak to all the people who don't want to pull up a seat at the table unless it's the head of the table. The people who want to come to the table as long as there's enough room for you to bring your accomplishments, your achievements, your accolades, your brilliance, and your ego. I'm, tell, I'm talking about the people who don't see why you need to come to the table because you've got everything under control. The people who are at the table, but you're the one who won't sit down because you've got a problem about where they're seating you. The problem that the person who comes to the table, but you're not happy with what God is preparing at the table. I'm talking about the people who've got just a little bit of pride. Jesus is at the table and he's teaching the Pharisees. Look at Jesus, teacher, teaching the teacher, rabbi, teaching the rabbis. And he's letting them know that pride has no place in the kingdom of God. God resists the proud. He doesn't really like pride. He doesn't even like a look that's proud. And you see, the Bible says pride is one of the three things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You'll hear lots of sermons about the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes. Those things manifest themselves in tangible ways. But I'm telling you, pride is invisible. Pride can turn up to church in a long, flowy dress. Pride can wear a Gucci suit to church. Pride can have its hair in a perm. Pride can serve in every single ministry of church. Pride can be quiet in the lunchroom, but absolutely gossip up a storm behind the office door. Pride can pull up a seat at the table and promote itself under the guise of communion with Jesus. Pride hides itself in secret places. Pride doesn't walk into a room and announce itself because it's an attitude of your heart. It's hidden. And God says, if you don't get pride out of you, I'm going to have to humble you. I came to let you know today that God has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies, but you can't allow pride to get in the way of your table etiquette. Don't allow positions, titles, your strength, your human wisdom or your human understanding, seating arrangements and seats of honor. Don't allow those things to stop you from getting to the table because the greatest honor is not where you sit at the table. It's not about how much you build with your own strength. It's not about what you bring to the table. The greatest honor is that you've been invited. To every single person who's ever been offended because of where the host has chosen to place you in the seat chart, I want to remind you that the greatest honor is that you have been invited. To every person who refuses to pull up a seat at the table because you think you deserve better, the truth is you didn't deserve to be invited, but he prepared a table before you anyway. To every person who is struggling to come to the table with a posture of humility, you're not happy about the places in your life where God chooses to prepare a table. The word of the Lord for you today is humble yourself. Somebody say humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble me, Lord. Humble me, Lord. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Third and finally, these the diner with a million and one excuses. At this same table, a man says, what a blessing it's going to be. You know, when we have this massive feast and banquet in the kingdom of God, and Jesus starts to tell a story. There was a man who prepared this incredible banquet. And so he gets one of his servants to go and send out the invitations Not long after that, the master sends a servant, tell them, come, the banquet is ready. It's time to have the feast. But they all started to make excuses. One person said, I've just bought a field and I need to go and inspect it. Sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Another person said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to go and try them out. Sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Another person said, actually, I just got married. I'm not going to be able to make it. 
And so the servant returned to the master and told the master all of this. And so the master got mad and said, okay, that's okay. Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the blind and invite the, the, the lame. And so he did. After all of that, there was still room at the table. And so the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone that you find to come to the table so that the house will be full. None of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now you need to understand that this passage points to the fact that the Jews were first in line to receive God's invitation to his banquet table. The problem was they rejected God's invitation. But you see, their refusal became an opportunity for God to extend his invitation, extend his grace to the rest of the world. The issue remains though, their excuses caused them to forfeit their seat at the table. There are some of us who are allowing excuses to stop you from pulling up a seat at the table that God has prepared for you. You see, excuses are the defense mechanisms that we use when we don't want to admit that we're double-minded. Because to be double-minded is to have two minds. To be double-minded is to have divided loyalties. On the one hand, you desire to be in the presence of God and you want the presence of God in your life. But on the other hand, you love the ways of the world and live according to its ways. And so for many of us, we come to the table with a double mind. We'd rather stand at the table sometimes and then be out on the field sometimes and be at the table sometimes, be out at the field sometimes. We'd rather be double-minded than to fully sit at the table and commit ourselves. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That means that he is like the waves. As the wind blows the waves in whatever direction, so the man changes with his environment. To be double-minded is to try and combine the service of God with the service of self and the world. This will only lead to instability. Let me tell you, whenever there is instability in your life, there is a possibility that you are being double-minded somewhere. If your confidence in God is starting to waver, it's starting to become unstable, then there is a possibility that you are trying to serve God and serve doubt. If your faith in God is starting to waver, it's starting to become unstable, then there's a possibility that you're trying to serve God and serve fear at the same time. If your prayer life is starting to waver, it's becoming unstable, then there is a possibility that you are trying to serve God and serve religion. Because instability is a symptom of being double-minded. You have been extended an invitation by God, the host himself. But as long as you are double-minded, as long as you've got a million and one excuses, you can never enjoy security at the table. You can never enjoy stability at the table. You can never enjoy strength at the table. If I can ask the band to join me, please. And so if we can't bring religion to the table, if we can't bring pride, if we can't bring a million and one excuses to the table, what can we bring? What is the table etiquette here? Did you know that the most vulnerable thing that sheep could do is to eat in the presence of their enemies? To pull up a seat and sit down at the table that the Lord is preparing you is one thing but to sit down and eat in the presence of your enemies is a vulnerable position to put yourself in. Because as you eat, you'll be exposed to violent attacks of the enemy. 
To sit at the table and eat is to place yourself in the place of risk. To sit at the table and eat is to compromise your safety. Actually, to put yourself at the table and eat is to place yourself at the mercy of the host. You see, we've all got reasons for why we struggle to pull up a seat at the table that the Lord is preparing. Whether it's religion, whether it's pride, whether it's a million and one excuses, whatever the reason may be, whatever reason we may come up with, the underlying reason is simply this. We don't trust the host. The reason that we struggle to pull up a seat at the table that the Lord has prepared is because we don't trust him. We don't trust that he can protect us when we feel surrounded. We don't trust that he knows what's best. We don't trust that he knows what we need. We don't trust that the Lord is able to take care of us. We don't trust that the Lord is able to protect and provide for us. And the reason that we don't trust him is because either we don't know him or we've got an incorrect or a warped view of who he is. Oftentimes we think that God is just an angry old man sitting up there somewhere in the skies. We think that God is not able to help us. We even think that God, is, God doesn't understand. But when you open the word of God, when you study his word, when you read his word, when you meditate on the word of God, you will find that he is faithful. He is powerful. He is sovereign. And because of that, you can know him to be a trustworthy God. When you know God to be a loving father whose desire is to care for his children, you can confidently place your faith and trust in him. When you know God to be a God who through the person of Jesus has himself already gone before us into every situation and every extremity that we might ever encounter, then you can put your trust in him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That term author means that Jesus is a pioneer. Jesus is a groundbreaker. Jesus is the trailblazer. In other words, wherever it is that you think you are, Jesus has been there. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has known our sufferings. He has experienced our sorrows. He has endured our struggles in this life. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And so because of that, he understands us. He has totally identified himself with the sheep. He has a care and a compassion for us beyond our human ability to grasp. How can we not trust him? How can we not trust the good shepherd? This is why David said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's no wonder the psalmist said, some people may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. It's no wonder he said, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than in man. It's no wonder he said, when I am afraid, God, I put my trust in you. It's no wonder he said, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? The solution is simply this church. Trust the host. Trust the shepherd. Trust Jesus. I came to tell every person 
who is being confronted by the enemy, to every person who feels like they're surrounded, to every person who feels like you're in the valley, to every person who feels like you're in the midst of the battlefield, this is not the time to have a pity party. This is not the time to keep pursuing dead religion. This is not the time to hold on to pride. This is not the time to bring a million and one uh, excuses. This is the time for you to pull up a seat at the table, get yourself comfortable because God is about to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies and so because of that you ought to give him praise you ought to give him shout you ought to dance you ought to lift your hands and say yes lord because to sit at the lord's table is to enjoy fellowship and communion with god because to but but to do so in the presence of the enemy is to publicly declare who i am and whose i am and so because of that i don't know about you but i will praise him I'm going to praise him because I'm safe. I'm going to praise him because I'm secure. I'm going to praise him because I'm protected. I'm going to praise him because I'm sustained. I'm going to praise him because I'm guarded. I'm going to praise him because I'm sheltered. Not because of the table. Not because of what's on the table. Not because of where I'm seated on the table. But because of the one who simply invites me to come to the table. The one who is going to anoint my head with oil. The one who anoints me until my cup runs over. Church, you can trust the shepherd. Church, you can trust Jesus. Church, you can trust God. No matter what the season may be. It's time for you to read every moment that you are confronted by the enemy as an opportunity for you to pull up a seat sit down and dine at the Lord's table because you can confidently do that because there is nothing that the enemy can do to take you out of the shepherd's hand. Come on, do you trust him? I didn't, oh wow. Do you trust him? Come on church, do you trust him?